What the Lord has really been speaking to my heart in the last while, uh, not to give me something to preach, but to give me something to live. And um, I don't ever try to just look at Scripture to get something to preach. I want to live something. I want to speak out of my life. I want to speak out of that which, which I'm living. And uh, so I've titled this message. It's, it's good to have a great title. It's better to have a better message even if without a title. <laughs> but uh, I've titled this Keeping Our Souls Anchored by Living Expectantly. Keeping Our Souls Anchored by Living Expectantly. Now, we're a three-part being. Uh, the book of First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, talks about spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit being. Uh, at, at my core, at your core, you're a spirit. I'm a spirit. Uh, this is our earth suit, as it were. Like when, a, when an astronaut goes to space, he has a space suit. Well, this body is our earth suit. But we are a spirit and we have a soul. And that soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So we're a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And, and, and the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and joins himself to our spirit when we are born again. And so uh, we, we walk around in this earth suit. But our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. And our souls can get us in trouble. Uh, we can get our mind in all sorts of nonsense. But we keep our souls anchored. And we're going to look at a verse a little bit later in the book of Hebrews that talks about uh, our souls being anchored. The anchor of our soul is hope. The word hope is a much abused word. We, we don't use it properly. We say things like, boy, I sure hope so. But that's not biblical hope. The word hope literally means confident expectation of a favorable outcome based on what God says. Confident expectation of a favorable outcome based on what God says. Uh, hope has been abused greatly. And it's such a wonderful and powerful word. And another word for hope is expectancy or expectant or expectation. Living expectantly. The word expectancy also means hope, to readily anticipate, to eagerly look forward to. Even heaven has expectancy. Uh, the book of Colossians in the first chapter, in the 27th verse, it says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of the glory, of, of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Christ in you. Paul was writing to the church at Colossae. But he's also writing to the church in Detroit. What is the uh, hope, uh, excuse me, what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles? Christ in us, and he describes it as the hope of glory or the expectancy or the expectation of glory. Now there's several places in scripture that the word glory is a reference to the heavenly realms. So what this is saying is that all of heaven had great expectation for a day to come 
when Christ would dwell within Jew and Gentile, making us one, that Christ would dwell in us. That's the expectation of heaven. In other words, in Christ, in the new birth, we are what heaven has been anticipating. That's an amazing thing. That the expectation of heaven was that Christ, that God would come in in physical form, that he would live, that he would die, that he would be resurrected, and he would send the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to live in us. That's the expectation of heaven. So it's not a minor thing we're celebrating next Sunday. It's a major thing. It is the most exceptional thing that has ever happened in the earth. That all of heaven had great expectation that the day would come that God would dwell on earth. What's his name? His name, yes, but his name is God with us. God with us and in us. That God came to us. We didn't have enough sense to look for him. He sought us out. He came to us. But you may ask, in relation to this living with expectation, living with hope, you may ask, what good expectations do I have? And the reason we ask questions like this many times is because we're ruled by our circumstances. Or we're ruled by our thought life. Or we're ruled by uh, the insanity of the world. We might ask, what good expectations do I have? What hope do I have? What do I have eagerly to look forward to? Uh, Some people might ask that. Well, let me give you some things. First of all, the blessed hope of the church is the return of the Lord. Did you know that Jesus is going to come back physically? That he's going to return to earth? The Bible says he will judge the living and the dead. He's going to come for his own. Now, we don't know when that's going to be. If, if you were around in the, in the 80s, a few years before 1988, some poor soul wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I think he missed it. You know, he, he did not return in 1988. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. It may be soon. It may not be soon. People have been saying soon for over 200 years. Did you know to God 200 years is, is, is soon? But to humans, 200 years is not soon. And so we have to understand he is coming back. And that is the blessed hope of the church, the return of the Lord. What else do we have to look forward to? We have this to look forward to, the fulfillment and manifestations of promises that God has made to us. The fulfillment and manifestation of the promises that God has made to us. You know, this book is full of promises. This book is full of promises that he has made to us. God has spoken to us, either prophetically Or he has spoken to us privately in the prayer closet of things about us. I remember back in May of of 2019, I was just diagnosed with cancer. And and I opened my Bible. I wasn't trying to open to Isaiah 53, the great redemptive chapter. But I opened it. And he said, "Who who has believed our report? And then that's followed by, by my stripes you are healed. And he said, this is my report for you. My report for you is that I have healed you by the stripes of Jesus on the cross. And, and that gave me hope. That was something to look forward to. 
And thank God that has been a reality. And, and I'm uh, over two years cancer-free. Uh, there's other things that, that God speaks to us. And we haven't seen those things happen yet in the natural. But because God speaks to us, that's his report for us. That's what he says about it. So we have expectation to see those things come about. Uh, what else do you have to look forward to? Priscilla came up and talked about thanking God for prayer. Well, there's things we're praying. There are things that Nita and I pray every single day of our lives. And we know it's the will of God. First uh, John chapter 5 says, This is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we desired of him. So there are things that we pray every single day. Prayer for family. Pray, pray for individuals in our lives that are either wayward from God or praying for people that, uh, you know, need healing or whatever. So we have, we have anticipation. We, we look forward to the answer to prayers that we prayed. What else do we have to be anticipating? The salvation and deliverance of family and friends. Or for that matter, the salvation and deliverance of enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, those who even despitefully use you or spitefully use you. And so there, there's much that we have to look forward to. But one of our mistaken tendencies, in addition to those things, is that we look for joy, peace, and fulfillment in good circumstances or in things of this world. Did you know that God is to be the source of my joy? I think I'll talk to these people. Did you know that God is supposed to be the source of my joy? Yes. It doesn't mean that you cannot... Uh, enjoy life. It doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy good circumstances. But how many of you know many times good circumstances don't come? But the source of our joy is God. And one of our mistaken tendencies is to look for joy <clears throat> in the circumstances of life. Or to look for joy in the things of this world. But listen to what Jeremiah had to say about it. I'm going to read this one verse from Jeremiah from several translations. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. The New King James Version said, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And the New Living Translation says, when I discovered your word, I devoured them. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. The Good News Translation says, You spoke to me and I listened to every word. I belong to you, Lord God Almighty. And so your words filled my heart with joy and happiness. And then the New International Reader's Version says, When I received your words, I ate them, or I devoured them. They filled me with joy. My heart delight, excuse me, my heart took delight in them, Lord God, who rules 
over all I belong to. So the honor of the word that, that in other words, God, we need to come to the place in our lives that we devour this book. That we devour this book. I remember when I got radically saved in 1971, in, in less than a year, I wore out about three Bibles. In other words, I just could not get, I could not get enough of the word of God. And even before I was born again, I was raised in a Christian home, went to church. And I went to a church that was really big on scripture memorization. Really big on scripture memorization. And I was shocked at the number of scriptures that were in me when I first got born again. Uh, because I had... Uh, I had just, you know, there was so much that I had memorized, but the word was alive in me. And, and I don't ever want to lose sight of that. But the book of Job, I think it's uh, chapter 23, verse 12. Job says this. He says, I have esteemed your word. Or I have valued your word. One translation says, I have treasured your word more than my necessary food. He didn't say I've treasured your word more than my dessert. Maybe that's your necessary food. I don't know. But he said I've treasured your word more than my necessary food. One translation says more than my daily bread. More than the essential things of life. I treasure what God says. In, in what I just read from, uh, from uh, Jeremiah. That one verse. One of the translations says, when I received your words. Another one says, you spoke to me. So it speaks of a relationship. That, that I want to hear from God every single day. And I, if I don't hear him speaking to me a, a personal word to do something, that's okay. I've got his word. I've got that which really is a treasure. I mean, I've studied the history of how the scripture was established. Why the books of the Bible are what they are and and how people went through great sacrifice some even were martyred in order to get the word into print Uh, and so we treasure we treasure what god has to say we also have a tendency to live our lives focused on what i call the rearview mirror it's so good to see you glad to see you up and about (laughs) amen we also have a tendency to live our lives focused on our rearview mirror, both for bad and good. For the bad, we say things like, if I had only, oh, oh why didn't I? I, I should have. I mean, that'll drive you crazy. I mean, I could tell you all sorts of things that, why didn't I? If I had only, why shouldn't I? Or I should have. But if we live there, it'll, it'll just drive us crazy. And there's no expectation because we're trapped in the past. But we also live with our, our hearts, our eyes focused on the rearview mirror for good. Nostalgia, the good old days. Let me tell you when the good old days were good. Back there when you were living them. You cannot repeat them. It's impossible. If you went back in your condition at your age to the good old days, they would be blah. And so we don't need to go back to the good old days. I like to look back. I like to think of things and reminisce about the goodness of God 25 years ago. That's awesome. But I don't want to go back to the good old days. 
And another thing that we try to do that really can be a hindrance, and the scripture addresses this. And what we try to do is we try to recover a former day spiritually. God addresses that in the little book of Amos. Amos, one of the minor prophets. Amos chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. This is what the Lord says. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do you remember Bethel? Bethel or Bethel is the way it's pronounced in the Hebrew. Bethel means the house of God. Bethel has a significant place in the history of Israel. Bethel was where um, Jacob wrestled with God. Was it Jacob? Keep me straight, Bob. I thought so. Bethel was where Jacob wrestled with God. And and God won. (laughs) But it brought Jacob to a place that his name was changed from Caniver to Israel. Bethel has a great history, but we don't need to go back to Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Gilgal was the place of stones. It's where the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. And and we have to understand that Gilgal was great, but we can't relive that. Or Beersheba. Beersheba was the well of 12. It's where Abraham and Abimelech established covenant. Those were all awesome things, but you cannot go back to what God did in the past. Many people are trying to say we need to go back to Azusa Street where God poured out his spirit. Or Topeka, Kansas where God poured out his spirit. But you cannot relive history. We need to seek the Lord and live. We need to live today in the presence of God. We need to experience him today in the context of our lives. Who we are and where we are. And let God decide what needs to happen in our lives. But let's consider what the Lord has set before us. And when I say before us, I don't mean 200 years from now. That's before us. But this word before that we're going to be looking at, it means to set in view or to set at hand. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. And we're going to look at three things in two verses of the book of Hebrews Uh, that the Lord has set before us. Three things. One, the race. Secondly, the joy. And thirdly, the hope. The race, the joy, and the hope. All of those have been set before us. In all of the following scriptures, the word before means to place before the eyes, in view, or at hand. It also means to be appointed or destined. So we've been appointed to run this race, to uh, have this joy, to have this hope or expectation. And expectation keeps our souls from going into all the crazy stuff that we hear. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, anytime you see a Book of the Bible, or excuse me, excuse me, a chapter of the Bible begin with the word therefore. You need to look and see what it's there for. The reason it's there is because he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. 
Who is that great cloud of witnesses? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, I call the faith hall of fame. Uh, almost every verse of Hebrews 11 says by faith. By faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith, by faith Jacob, uh, by faith Enoch, uh, by faith even Rahab. And Rahab was a hooker. She was a harlot. I say hooker because we've got friends in Tennessee whose names are hookers. <laughs> so they're our most... We love them more than any hookers we know. They're the only hookers we know. But Rahab was a harlot. But, you know, God didn't commend her for her life before knowing God. He commended her for her life after. You know, we've all got a past. Even if your past is self-righteousness, God says your self-righteousness is like filthy rags to me. We all have a past. We all have a history before God. But God redeemed us from something. He even redeemed us from phony goodness. Or he, re he redeemed us from debauchery. But he redeemed us. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Do you know that word weight? That's the only place in the New Testament that that word weight is found. And it's not even talking necessarily about something heavy because he's, he's talking about a race. He's talking about don't get out of shape. You know, a, a runner. Uh, and, and we're going to see it's talking about running with endurance. So he's not talking about a 100-yard dash or a 100-meter dash. He's talking about a lifelong marathon. Uh, in South Africa, where we spent many years they have two super marathons, 52 miles. Uh, one's called the Comrades, the other one's called the Two Oceans. And, uh, you know, the Kenyans are amazing. There's always Kenyans running in that race. And the Kenyans, they, they train at a very high altitude in Kenya. And, and you know, none of them are overweight. Not a one of them. I mean, they're slim, slim. And so what he's talking about is don't, don't put all a whole lot of extra stuff in your life that's going to make you sluggish to where you can't run the race. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay aside what we would call even little sins. Just lay it all aside. Get out of sin. And if you trip up, Bob said it earlier, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. You know, we all trip up somewhere along the way. Well, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he's the propitiation, the mercy seat of our sins. And not only for us, but also the sins of the whole world. Yeah. And let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do you run the race? You always look to the finish line, looking unto Jesus. You know, I used to, believe it or not, I used to run. I, I, ran, I ran the 200 meters, I ran the 400 meters, and made the mistake of putting me in an 800 meter. I'll tell you about that in a minute. I actually ran hurdles. And we were told, don't ever, if you're in front of, if there's nobody in front of you, don't ever look back. Because the moment you look back, somebody's going to pass you on the other side. Said, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on where you're headed. And where we're headed is to Jesus. He's with us and he's going to be with us at the end. But you have to pace yourself. You have to know what you can do and what you can't do. 
Uh, I was used to running 400 meters in a high school. Uh, my football coach decided, he said, you need to get in better shape, so I'm going to put you on the track team. The second day on the track team, they put me in an 800-meter race. I had never run an 800-meter race. I was used to pacing myself for 400 meters. In case your math is not good, 800 meters is twice the length of 400 meters. So I couldn't figure out why I was number one after 400 meters. I'll tell you why. I was running an 800-meter race like I was in a 400-meter race. So I was in first place. And about 50 yards into the second lap, my whole body became a cramp, and I fell by the wayside. So you have to pace yourself. And how do you pace yourself? Do what God shows you to do. And don't try to do what God's showing somebody else to do. This is why we have to have a relationship with him. You know, comparison is a curse. Uh, you know, uh, I see my wife. I see values in her life, and I should have those values. But... If I look at what God's called her to do and I try to match that, then I'm going to be in, in bad shape because he hadn't called. I mean, we all have common callings. There's certain things that are common to all of us. But I can't be her. She can't be me. So comparison gets in, in trouble. And so we run the race by looking to Jesus, who is the author or the originator and the finisher. You could say he's the alpha and the omega of our faith. And notice it says, who for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, I'll talk about that in just a second. That's one of the things that's been set before us because this, this verse is illustrative for us. It gives us illustration of the way we're to live our lives. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That word despising means to disregard or to count lightly. In other words, Jesus disregarded and counted lightly the shame of dying a criminal's death even though he was perfectly innocent. He was spotless. And that he was hanging on a cross essentially naked for everyone to see. He considered that lightly. What was the joy that was set before him? Pleasing the Father. Do you know the greatest joy of your life and my life is to know that I'm pleasing God? Yeah. Pleasing the Father. What was the greatest pleasure for the Father? Jesus was bringing humanity back into right relationship with God. Jesus was called the last Adam. The first Adam had messed it up by sinning. And it alienated all humankind from God. And God sent Jesus to reconcile. To bring back into relationship. All of mankind. Those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Reconciled to God. And that was the joy that Jesus saw. That enabled him to disregard the shame. You know, we have a shame. That shame is people mock us. And people laugh at us because we believe in Jesus here in this wise 21st century where people believe all sorts of nonsense. And yet we believe truth and we're laughed at because of it. 
We despise the shame. We disregard the shame. We count as light the shame that we receive, the persecution we receive, that we may please the Father. The joy of our heart is to please the Father. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. I may not have time to give you the reason it starts by saying God did this. But what verses 11 through 17 are talking about is that how God made a promise to Abraham. God promised Abraham in several different places. Genesis chapter 12. He said, I'm going to... I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you will be a blessing. In the 15th chapter of Genesis. He said I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And he said count the heavens. If you're able to number the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. But then in the 22nd chapter. And this is what. Hebrews 6 is talking about. In Genesis 22, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham. And Abraham was an amazing man. That's why he's called the father of us all. God spoke to Abraham and he said, here I am. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. He was the son of promise. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Ishmael was Abraham's idea. Through, through, right, through uh, um, um, what's her name? Sarah. Ascent, uh, no, uh, Sarah. no, not Sarah. Sarah was his wife, but. Hannah. Who was it? Who was it? Not Rahab. Not Rahab. I can't think of her name. Anyway, the servant girl. <laughs> the servant girl produced Ishmael. But Abraham, I mean, Isaac was the son of promise. And God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. Take him to Mount Moriah. Hmm? What was her name? Hagar. 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 Take your son, the son of promise, Isaac, to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And the most amazing thing is that Abraham doesn't say, God, how can I do that? He's the son of promise. It says the next morning, Abraham rose up early and he took his servants and he goes all the distance. And he gets to the base of the mountain and he tells his servants, stay here, stay with our goods. Isaac and I will go up there and we will return. Isn't that amazing? God says, take him and sacrifice him. But Abraham says, we're going to go up there and we're going to return. How can he say that? Because Isaac had God's promise. I'm going to bless the whole earth through your offspring, Isaac. And really the seed of Abraham was not Isaac, but it was Jesus. And the seed, Jesus... Galatians 3 says, if we belong to Christ, we too are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So God had vision beyond Isaac to Jesus and to everyone who would put their trust in Jesus. So Abraham goes up 
he has Isaac carry the wood. <laughs> Isaac said, well, here's the wood and there's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And, I, and Abraham said, the Lord will provide. And so when he's ready to kill Abraham, he never intended for Abraham to kill Isaac. Excuse me, kill Isaac, not Abraham. God never intended that to take place. God was testing his heart. Now, God doesn't test us with evil. That will never happen. God will never ask you to kill your children. God was setting something to be fulfilled by himself. That Abraham offered his only son, God the Father. God offered his only son for the redemption of all mankind. Because everybody that does something, even Jesus, has to have scripture laid out to live out. Jesus, his life fulfilled 333 prophecies in the Old Testament. And so when Isaac is ready to plunge the dagger in the heart, excuse me, when Abraham is ready to plunge the dagger in the heart of Isaac, an angel speaks to him. The angel of the Lord, really, which was a manifestation of Jesus. He said, I know now that you will obey me. And because of that, blessing, I will bless you. And he goes on and makes a wonderful promise. And there's a ram in the thicket. And he took it and he sacrificed it. And God's name that day became Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. God provided a sacrifice. So God did this. That's what it's talking about. So that by two unchangeable things. What are the two unchangeable things? A promise and an oath. In the English Bible, promise and oath are synonymous. But oath always requires divine, inviting the divine into it. I swear by God. It's kind of like when you go to court, you lay your hand on the Bible. And I swear. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. You're invoking God. In other words, an oath is when you invoke God. So God promised and then he said it. He swore by himself. It says he could not swear by a greater, so he swore by himself. So by two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did you know it's impossible for God to lie, Rebecca? It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God is so truth. He desires truth in the inward parts, as Bob shared earlier. But God only is truth. There is no deception in God. He cannot lie. He is truth. Impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I'm encouraged by the fact that God cannot lie. I'm encouraged by the fact that if I put my trust in Jesus, that I have eternal life, that I will live forever. This body will lie down. This body will turn to dirt. But my spirit has been reborn from above by the power of Almighty God. He's made me an eternal creature. He's made you an eternal creature. And the day will come that this body will die, but I will live forever and ever and ever and ever. If I live to be 150, that's a drop in the bucket to eternity. I'm greatly encouraged by that. I'm greatly encouraged by that. Take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Now, verse 19, the first part. We have this hope. 
We have this expectation. We have this expectancy. It's not the old world hope of, oh, I sure hope so. No, it's expectancy. It's confident expectation. We have this confident expectation as an anchor for my soul. It keeps my soul from getting involved in all sorts of nonsense and worry and concern. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul. Firm and secure. Hope or expectation. Looking forward in anticipation of God bringing about all of his promises. Anchors our mind. If something comes against me that's contrary to his promise. I'm anchored by the expectation that I will see it God's way. No matter what's happening in the natural. It anchors our mind, our will, and our emotion, and it keeps us from being tossed around by life's circumstances and craziness. I personally believe that we feed on the news of the world too much. I don't care if it's right wing, left wing, middle road, they all have an agenda. And if I keep myself feeding on that, It's going to shape my life daily. I'm not saying don't be aware. I'm not saying you're not aware. But you've got to understand those that are reporting, they all have an agenda. They all have an agenda. Somebody once said, well, you know, if we don't watch the news, how are we going to be able to pray? You know, Romans 8 doesn't say we don't know how to pray as we ought to. Always, So we ought to turn on the news to see how we should pray. (laughs) No, it says we don't know how to pray as we ought to. So we pray with groanings and other things which cannot be uttered. So I'm not trying to say turn your TV off. I'm not saying you can't watch the news. I'm saying don't feed on it. They want you to feed on it. They're trying to raise up their, whatever they call that, (laughs) ratings. Yeah. So we don't need to be tossed around with all the craziness. Now, I want to I want to begin to draw this to a close. We got to have our soul anchored. One of the places that refers back, actually Romans chapter four. If you want to turn there, you can. Verses seventeen and eighteen. Romans chapter four marries Genesis fifteen and Genesis seventeen. where God talked to Abraham about being the father of many nations. But in Romans 4, verse 17, it says, As it is written, now this is God speaking to Abraham. And when God spoke this to Abraham, Abraham was 99. No, he was 75 when God spoke this, sorry. He was 99 when Isaac came. But when Abraham was 75 years old, God spoke this to him. And not only was Abraham 75, but Sarah, his wife, her womb was dried up, dead. No more production of children. And so what does God say? God speaks to this old man and his wife who has a dead womb and says, I have made you a father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. Now, how could God say that? Because God speaks from eternity past and eternity future. 
This is my intention for you, Abraham. This is my purpose for your life. And that's the way it's going to be. I see it this way. I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead. And what does God do? God calls those things that are not as though they were. One translation says God calls things that don't exist into existence. And verse 18 shows us Abraham's response. And this has got to be our response for everything God says. Who against hope, I'll read it the way it is and then give you that interpretation. Who against hope believed in hope. According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. Hope in the Greek is the word elpis, E-L-P-I-S. It means expect, expectation, or expectancy. Confident expectation of a favorable outcome based on what God has spoken. Against hope. What does that mean? It means there was no reason, naturally speaking, considering the circumstances, old man, wife with a dead womb, Against hope. There was no reason for Abraham to even expect that what God said would come to pass. No reason for him to even expect it. It says he believed in hope. Against hope, contrary to every circumstance, Abraham believed in hope or with expectation. The word in and the word with are interchangeable in the Greek. So contrary to hope, contrary to any expectation that what God says is going to happen, Abraham believed with expectation. He believed with expectation. What did he believe? He believed what God said. He believed what God said. What had God said? I have made you the father of many nations. So his faith was in what God says. The focus of faith is what God says. What did he believe? For what did he hope? What did he have expectation about? He expected the manifestation of what God said. He believed what God said and he expected it to manifest. Concerning healing, for example. The doctor said that I had cancer and he wasn't lying to me. When I go to a doctor and I present it to my body to him, he's telling me what's there. But God has the power to reverse what's there. And God has spoken to me. He said, this is my report for you. So every single time that I've driven back to the hospital to get an MRI or a CAT scan, I drive and I say, Lord, my expectation is not in this report. My expectation is in you. My faith is in you. I don't know if they're going to give me a good report today or not, but it doesn't matter. Your report is greater than every report. And that's where my faith is. And somebody say, well, what if you die in the process? Well, I'll be with Jesus and I won't miss you even a little bit. That's right. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that we, we have faith in what God says and we have expectation in the fulfillment of what God says. So the focus of our faith is what God says. The focus of our hope or expectation is the manifestation of what God says. Amen. Because he believed what God says, I've made you a father of many nations, and expected it to manifest, he became according to that which was spoken. Abraham counted him faithful, who promised. 
But until the promise manifested, he believed what God said 24 years. 24 years after God says, I've made you the father of many nations, here comes Isaac. 24 years. Promise comes, manifestation, 24 years later. Until the promise manifested, he believed what God said until the manifestation came. His hope was the anchor of his soul, Hebrews 6:19, Keeping his soul, his mind, will, and emotions focused. And just one short verse in James 1, 8. Talks about a double-minded man. The, the worldwide English New Testament puts it this way. A person who has two minds, double-mindedness. A person who has two minds cannot go straight in any of his ways. If we're running a race, and we are, because God is not only set us the race before us, but he's put us in that race. But if we have two minds, we cannot go straight in any of God's ways. We have to stay focused. That word double-minded or uh, full of doubt to be at variance with yourself, having divided loyalties. So this morning, here we are on the, on the precipice of the greatest event that ever happened, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has left us in the world with all this craziness. You know, if, if the only reason we're born again is to go to heaven, then God should have taken us the day we were born again. We're just wasting space. But there's an intention for God. We're here for influence. We're here for influence. We are the temple of the living God. God left us here. We're in this race. And when things come against us to try to get us out of the race, we resist those. And it's hard to resist if our soul is not anchored. And expectation in everything that God says to us being fulfilled and manifested keeps our soul anchored and keeps us in the race. Here on the precipice of Celebrating Easter once again, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, he lived, he died, resurrected, and sent his spirit upon me so that I could be in this earth for influence by his spirit in my life, touching the lives of other individuals. So today, if, if you seem hopeless, if your life, if you, listen, I don't know when or if your circumstances are going to change. But let me tell you something. God never changes. And in the midst of your circumstances, you can know joy. You can know peace. You can have such a fulfilled life. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And they they were in shackles. But at midnight, they sang and gave praises to God. If they can do that in shackles... I can do that in the midst of my circumstances. Yeah, that's right. 